What I love about TikTok ads is it's so clear to me when brands are doing well because I just see their TikTok ad. Like True Classic Tees, I heard of it because I saw their ads on TikTok for three months or four months in a row. And I was like, who, what is this brand that like every time I open up TikTok, they're fucking advertising to me. (laughs) Um, And that's how I knew they're doing, they're doing well. Now I'm seeing this brand that sells like an air conditioner. They have like Jeff Foxworthy and Deion Sanders as like um, their spokesman. And every time I open it up, it's Jeff Foxworthy being like, here's why you need this air conditioner. And I'm like, what is this brand that's doing (laughs) really well? What happened to your career? (laughs) (laughs) That's right. This is Limited Supply, the place for refreshingly real takes on what D2C is really like. We're your hosts, Nick and Moyes. Let's start talking about money. All right, Moyes, you know, every time we work out together, I take some pre-workout before sometimes, and I always get it from this brand, Caged. Now, why do I use Caged? Because they are on Tapcart. So I have their app on my phone. Every time it runs out, I just go to the app and reorder it. They do over 21% of their revenue just through their Tapcart app. Their AOV is 19.5% higher than the .com. And their conversion rates for mobile web, like just going on Safari, is four and a half times higher than the mobile web. And then compared to desktop, it's almost two and a half times higher. It's 2.4x. That is absolutely insane. More than a fifth of their revenue is coming from the Tapcard app that they have. And the craziest is the difference of the conversion rate within the app and mobile web. Who would have thought? Now I understand why uh, you have such good workouts. <laughs> You're on all this pre. <laughs> if you want to have a success like Cage with Tapcard, go to tapcard.com slash limited. Oh, okay, yes, baby. You like that first thing on the agenda? I just saw what you added. I'm so down to talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was so well. Let's get into it. I guess uh, this is episode four, limited supply season four. Okay, bunch of stuff on the agenda. It's been probably ten days since we recorded last. For a hot second, there was something that was uh, going on in the, on LinkedIn where it was an, uh, some olive oil drama, olive gate. Olive Gate. Will you summarize uh, for people who may not be aware of it what happened? Like I was, you know, it's so hard to keep track of these things. I got like I got to check WhatsApp, Twitter, LinkedIn now for people posting stuff. I'm like, where is the drama? Is it on Netflix or is it on LinkedIn now? Uh, yeah, apparently it's on LinkedIn. So tell tell everyone what it was. So basically, what happened was Brightland came out with a new olive oil they call pizza oil. I believe it came out yesterday, or it might have been the day before. We're recording this on April 27th. So whenever it came out, it came out and basically, you know, Brightland's known for their beautiful designed bottles, ceramic looking bottles, uh, very high end is really because olive oil shouldn't be in plastic. Graza, on the other hand, their entire brand is in these plastic squeeze bottles, which is what chefs all around the world use, squeeze bottles. So does the halal cart downstairs on the corner. They use squeeze bottles. So Brightland launched a new pizza oil in a squeeze bottle. The whole aesthetic is like it it fits in a pizza shop and it's to be put on pizza. And the LinkedIn on LinkedIn, the CEO of Graza basically calls out Brightland and says, hey, you know, this is too far. You know, we've had some friendly banter in the past. I'm all up for friendly competition, but you've gone way too far. You put your olive oil in a squeeze bottle, okay? This is crossing the line here. And everybody in the comments just flamed this guy. It went from, you know how a good meme on Instagram, a good meme on Twitter ends up on Instagram and a good TikTok ends up on different platforms. Just like that, this LinkedIn post was screenshotted and memed across Twitter. Even the tweets were hilarious. You know, my reply was like, oh shit, what does this mean for all? I got to go call Olipop. We're, we've been stealing the packaging from Coke. <laughs> oh, fuck. What does this mean for Coke? We stole it from somebody else. And so, so anyways, he got absolutely ripped apart, uh, rightfully so. Then he apologized. So he edited his post and apologized. And um, apparently, word on the street, word on the streets I've been driving on, although this is now, you know, a few weeks after this has happened, by the time this is aired. But at the time, there's some reporters sneaking around trying to get some more some more juicy details that apparently have been slipped to reporters, all lies. But uh, you know, hopefully none of those pieces have come out 
or didn't come out in the past. But it was it was drama of the day. The last like I don't know the last week there's been something spicy every single day on D to C Twitter. Wait, what was the drama that's going around? So I'm sorry, I I, I certainly saw the um, squeeze bottle. But what was this drama that you were talking about? There was something going on with the reporters going out. Basically, he claimed like, you know, this isn't the first time Brightland's done something to us. And he didn't really go into detail about what that was. But a reporter hit me up and said, hey, we, we were told, obviously by one, only one person, we were told that Brightland participated in a give, Instagram giveaway, didn't hold up their end of the bargain, then it post on Instagram. And in reality, what happened is, first of all, Brightland is not that type of a brand that says, hey, let's go post on Instagram for a giveaway because we need followers and comments. It's just not Brightland. You know, Rolls Royce would never do that. Brightland doesn't do that. So he, he was claiming that like this is the first time they got gypped by Brightland or that was the first time they got gypped by Brightland. And in reality, like, you know, Brightland's social calendar, content calendar fills up like three months in advance. So I can't imagine that Ashwarya was like, oh, fuck yeah, I'd be so pumped to do an Instagram giveaway and post it on our stories, you know? Are you an investor in Brightland out of curiosity? You seem to know a ton about it. And I, I don't know anything about it. Like I, yeah. I once had bottles of olive oil. Okay, gotcha. No, I'm definitely an investor. That's interesting. I, I can't believe a reporter is reaching out to you being like, I heard a story that Brightland has <laughs> yeah. not posted something on Instagram. <laughs> uh, dear reporter... That is not a story. Like, that is not... Yeah. Find something better to write about. Yeah. Yeah. That's like the cop. I saw this cop the other day in New York writing a ticket to, like, an Uber Eats delivery driver. And I'm like, do you seriously not... Like, I I literally said this to them. Do you not have anybody else to go after than somebody who is just trying to get on with their day? You should call up the reporter and be like, I have breaking news. I brushed my teeth this morning. (laughs) I changed my toothpaste flavor. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Uh, that's uh, hilarious. I've got a lot of thoughts about this. One is that a squeeze bottle is the least amount of copying a company has ever done to another company. And not only that, the squeeze bottle that Brightland uses and that Graza uses, like, yeah, their colors are unique, but I'm pretty sure they're style bottles that you could buy. Like, you know, Chinese guys are just selling these bottles and these squeeze tops in the quantity of billions and so I'm not sure how, like, yes, color is u- unique to each of them, and they're completely different. One's white and one's dark green. But I don't know where this came from when it's like, oh, you're now putting this product in a squeeze bottle? Oh, my God. You know, <laughs> I, I'm not sure where that came from. I'm going to go sue the halal card downstairs. And like, you know, I think I would say the other thing is that you should get incredibly used to competition when you're successful. Like, one of the hardest things about building in public is that the more successful you are, the more everybody knows it and the more that like everybody wants to copy that. When I was running Native, we had people clone our the exact same sense that we had. Like there was a shitty version of Native with the exact same sense that we had. And then one of the guys who tried to buy our business, like I did this presentation in front of a company that, you know, bid north of $50 million, I think, for the business. A month later, cloned the deodorants and cloned all of the scents. Like they sold a coconut and vanilla and a eucalyptus and mint and a cucumber and mint. Like, you know, a month after we tried to sell the business to them and they made an offer. And, you know, look, that's the nature of business. So if you're going to get your panties all bunched up for a squeeze bottle, dude, you're going to have a lot more problems. Uh, I like that he apologized. He did it really quickly. And I, I thought it was less of a big deal than everybody else did. Like I saw all these posts on LinkedIn. First, when I saw it, I was like, this guy's overreacted. Then I saw a ton of responses where people were like, you overreacted and you apologized. I didn't think it was that big of a deal. It seemed to have gone mini viral within the direct-to-consumer community. So I did want to bring it up here. But to me, I'm like, you know, a week from now, we'll all have forgotten about it. No one's going to care. Let's move on to a couple other things. Uh, one is uh, Walmart sold Bonobos. Did you see this? I saw a huge loss. Yeah, they um, purchased Bonobos for $310 million back in the day when they thought that they were doing like, I don't know, an e-commerce roll-ups. <laughs> I think Walmart may have been the original Thrasio now that I think about it. They bought Jet. Right. Everything they've bought, they've gotten rid of or shut it down. Yeah. ModCloth, Shoes.com, Bare Necessities. Anyway, they bought Bonobos for $310 million and they sold it for $75 million. The deal structure was a little bit complicated. The guys who are buying it, 
Um, they're acquiring it for $50 million, WHP, and Express is going to get Bonobos' operating assets and, and liabilities for $25 million. So WHP is buying the brand for $50 million and the IP, and Express is buying the operating assets and liabilities for $25 million. This is what the Express CEO said about the business, because at this point, nobody knows how big it is. It says, Bonobos is delivering double-digit sales growth, and we plan to continue that momentum while also realizing operating synergies and the other economies of scale. How large it is, I have no idea. But it's really interesting. I feel like uh, this is a good time to talk about, like, you know, Bonobos, uh, do you know Andy Dunn personally, out of curiosity? No, we're just Twitter friends. Okay, so Andy Dunn was the founder of Bonobos. Back in the day, I think in like 2014, pre-Dollar Shave Club or something, or like 2013, he coined the phrase DNVB, Digitally Native Vertical Brands. And he's like, look, nobody can compete with Amazon any longer. And this was back in the day where people were like, can I be a, a retailer of other people's goods? And he's like, look, that ship has sailed and the battle has been lost. The die has been cast, you know, the blood has been spilled. You will not be able to compete with Amazon selling a third-party good. You cannot sell a pen that Amazon also sells. Their logistics will beat you. Their prices will beat you. And you know today, you absolutely have no chance. So he suggested that everyone, like he didn't suggest, but he was like, look, there is a digitally native vertical brand, which everyone should go out and create their own brand that is not available on Amazon. That's how you compete in this space. He wrote that article how many years ago? And like it's come, it's, like that life cycle is so long now. He started a brand, uh, had some troubles, sold to Walmart, and now it's being sold to a second guy. He was really the pioneer of like direct to consumer, I think. I wonder if Bonobos has potential to end up like a Juicy Couture, Kate Spade, Quicksilver, you know, one of these brands that just keeps getting traded for the next hundred years. Or if this is like, if this, this acquisition now is its last shot to get back on its high horse and pedestal. I feel like. The brands like Juicy Couture, at one day, like they reigned supreme, right? Like every woman wanted to wear Juicy in the same way that I wanted to wear a starter jacket growing up. Or like there were all these great brands that like sort of had their heyday and then fell off uh, the face of the earth. And then like that, that heyday can be reinvigorated. When I was growing up, I'd buy Reeboks that uh, like, you know, Frank Thomas, who was his nickname was the Big Hurt. He was like a baseball player on the Chicago White Sox. He had Reebok shoes and I really wanted them. That brand is now dead, but someone can revive that brand. Someone can revive Juicy. I'm not sure Bonobos ever had that like ubiquity wow. and yeah, exactly, to be able to be revived. I think it's more of a this brand can throw off some cash, but it's not a Quicksilver or starter jacket or a Juicy. I'm not sure. Like, you know, that's just my gut take about it. I'm actually very curious to see. I, I also like, you know, one thing that could be fun is. If we were to take a list, you know how like uh, there's always the thought of, oh, well, 10 years ago, we said we we're going to have flying cars by now. If we took that list of flying cars from 10 years ago and direct to consumer and actually compared it to the reality today, that'd be a fun exercise to go through and see how many things actually were true or how many things were good enough to get press and, and engagement on social, things like that, you know, kind of make a statement. Absolutely. Yeah, that would be really interesting. So let's talk about Walmart. Okay. Uh, Walmart says their online sales are $53 billion last year. That's a jump from $15 billion in 2019, or 5% of Walmart's annual sales, which is a massive jump. You know, you talked about more than 3x. One of the things that I noticed when we were running, uh, when we started uh, launching into brick and mortar stores, was that a lot of these brick and mortar stores try and inflate their online presence and online uh, sales and online efficiency. So one of the things that they'd like to do is be like, we'll give you this end cap. But in order to get this end cap, which is going to give you a lot of sales, you have to spend a million dollars in advertising or $100,000 in advertising on our website. And I'm not going to pick on any retailer. So let's just give an example of walmart.com. Mm -hmm. They'll say, okay, you need to buy the homepage of walmart.com. That's going to cost you $50,000 and we'll give you this end cap. And you know, you're like, well, the end cap is worth a fortune. So yeah, I'm re ready to pay $50,000 for walmart.com homepage buyout. Although I expect zero sales from it and I will get zero sales from it. And then, you know, at the court, at the end of the quarter, they're like, look, investors, uh, here it is. Yeah. We look at our online re ad revenue. It's so good. And you're like, oh, you know, as an investor, I would look at that and be like, wow, your online 
ad revenue is really good. And then I'm like, oh, uh, you know, I want once I'm on the other side of things, I'm like, I see how it is. You just artificially juice this by giving me the end cap, requiring me to spend fifty thousand dollars in something you and I both know has zero value. The fifty three point four that includes ad revenue as well. I'm not entirely sure, actually. But I do know that that's what they do because I remember having that experience at Native where retailers would be like, okay, if you do this, uh, like, you know, let's give another example of CVS.com, which I, you know, I don't remember this happening. So this is just a hypothetical. You know, when was the last time you went to CVS.com? Never. Yeah, never. I've never <laughs> been to CVS. I don't even know if CVS owns CVS.com. <laughs> yeah. It'd be like, buy a banner page on CVS.com and we'll do all these things for you. And you're like, okay. Just tell me how much money you want me to put in the briefcase and what the address is to send it to you right. in order to get this. You don't need to pretend. We can just uh, uh, you know dispense with the pretense. Mm-hmm. Let's call it a bribe or whatever you want to call it, but let's get it done. You know, uh, here's the money. Give me the end caps. Do you use the Walmart Plus membership? How many memberships do you think you're signed up to? So, like for example, Amazon Prime. I got yeah. Yes. Uber, I have whatever the Uber one is. Yes, me too. Shoprunner, do you have Shoprunner? I get it through MX, but yeah, technically, yeah. And what about like um, Thrive Market? Thrive Market, I don't do. Italic, I do. Is that worth it? Like, what are you doing? What are you buying from Italic all the time? Man, Italic has the world's greatest boxers. They have amazing towels, amazing sheets, and the best hand soap. Okay. And you have you buy enough of that to have a membership? We'll use my membership for our office too. Gotcha. Okay. Oh. Sorry, Jimmy. Someone's listening. <laughs> Someone's listening. You cancel this account. Cancel it. <laughs> Violating the terms. That's funny. But yeah, there you know how there's always like this bundling and unbundling cycle. I feel like we're about to go into a massive bundling cycle. Cause even walking to the office, I see on the post on the screen it's like you know, if you're a part of Amazon Prime, you get DoorDash Plus for a year for free. And it's just like getting people into, you know, there's probably hundreds of subscriptions that people have that they have no idea about. And then you get another subscription from Rocket Internet to cancel all the other subscriptions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That is funny. Like, that is my favorite like tweet ever, which is, I don't know what it is. I signed up for the thing that helps me cancel subscribe. I had six. Now I have seven. <laughs> that is my favorite. All right. I got some news, some hot news off the press. Hit me. So earlier you mentioned Facebook stock was up. Did you read any of the news that came out about Facebook? I know that their revenue was up for the first time in like four quarters. I talked to a Facebook ad rep earlier today and they're like, this was the first quarter where like morale is like, we're not on our back heels. And we're sort of fighting again. You know, there's still rounds of layoffs to happen in the next month. So I know they beat revenue. I know they beat EBITDA. I know they're like at, you know, 4 billion monthly active users, I think, or maybe 3 billion monthly active users, like insane numbers and like continuing to grow that. But like, that's all I know. Okay. So there's, there's two things we could talk about. Do you want to start with number one or number two? Number two. So today, Facebook announced that beginning next year, April 24th. So April 24th, 2024. Facebook will not allow you to use Facebook shops and allow checkout through the site. You have to use their checkout to complete a transaction if somebody goes through Facebook shop. In addition, which that's not that bad because I did confirm with Facebook today that you will still be able to run website traffic and website ads. The goal with this push is twofold. One, it's to get shops transacting through Facebook, which I'm sure means, you know, payment revenue for them. We've talked about the split of sure. the 2.9%. I'm sure they get some of that. The second one, which is really how they're going to get people there, is everybody who has products tagged on Instagram. Those tags will completely disappear if you are not set up in Commerce Manager. And I think couple things. One, I think it's actually, you know, if I was looking through the eyes of Zuck, this is basically a way to consolidate as many learnings, as many data points, as many signals as possible to make the ad engine more efficient. On the other hand, you know, somebody could say it's kind of fucked up that they're forcing this, but I really don't see any downsides to joining this side. Like I don't see any downside 
to changing your Facebook shops checkout to be exclusively through Facebook or any downside to having that because you can still run traffic to site. Plus you will get better custom audiences and lookalike audiences from people who interacted with the shop, which again is all in their own walled garden. The only downside I see is if performance on website traffic versus performance on shops was dramatically lower on average, then the people who would suffer the most are the people who have products with high barrier to entry. So eight sleep or Hexclad or Caraway, things that are expensive and require a lot of consideration, learning, education, social proof, trust. Those pieces are probably not as easy to build in shops unless, I could be wrong, unless by this time next year, you can basically build an entire website with a drag and drop builder using Facebook shops, which also could be completely possible. Let me ask two questions then. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I did see that news. Uh, what about like reviews? Of course, you have, they, Facebook still has to let you uh, check out on your site, but what about like reviews? Um, can you import your reviews from where your review platform into Facebook? Or like, do you have 10,000 reviews on your website and two on Facebook? My guess is they're going to have some sort of an API. So they have a couple APIs that you can use with the ads platform and business manager. I think they're going to allow for somebody like Okendo to sync your reviews in. If I was, you know, Unilever and they were like, oh yeah, actually these have to all be Facebook page reviews. You know, that's another thing. I'd be pretty pissed. So I don't think they're going to do that, but I think they're going to, yeah, they, they should allow, there should be an API where you can basically sync reviews in. I do think though, there is going to be some level of moderation or filtering in these reviews. For example, if somebody writes a review on your site or you have a review on your site and it's in there, but it doesn't match back to a Facebook profile maybe, or it's not verified by Facebook as a real purchase, I think, for example, those might get filtered out. Well, yeah, okay. Um, fair enough. Also, why are, you, what, why are you giggling? You got something in your head? I'm giggling because I was like, I wonder if how many people are going to have two reviews on their website in 10,000 <laughs> on Facebook. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then I guess my other question is, uh, what about like post-purchase upsell? Like you can't do that on Facebook. Add to cart upsell. So another one that I saw somebody bring up was custom products. If you're building a custom pair of socks and you have to upload your dog's picture, how is that going to happen? I'd be a little surprised if Facebook made you do this. Like, you know, they, they've in the past, they've said this is required. And then they're like, and then take then it back. They, yeah. Like you remember, there used to be this thing called like campaign budget optimization. And for a long time, they were like every on April 10th, everyone must go to campaign by, uh, you know, you were, there will be no, uh, yeah. Or like budget the, optimization uh, of the ads. watch pages was another one. Yeah. And then they're like, uh, actually this is a bad idea. We changed our minds. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I remember my ad account reps when I was a native being like, you have to go to campaign budget optimization. Don't you understand? It's going to be mandatory. <laughs> We're going to force you into it. And I was like, well, I just hate it. Yeah. And you know, like a week before you were required to, like they'd been telling me for three months, a week before I was required to, they're like, okay, never mind. We're okay. Yeah. <laughs> like you, you, you you're, do like, you want. you're like, Hey, just what happened? What happened to that thing? And they're like, wait, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's right. <laughs> That's exactly what happened. Yeah, it's okay. Well, this is something that I feel like works really well in theory. Like the thought of, oh, we can run ads to our own walled garden. We can collect the payments revenue, and customers are happy because they get something that's in a, in in the app experience. And advertisers are happy because we have more signals and more data. But in reality, this is something that's I don't think it's going to work out as easily as as intended. The correct answer to this is actually Facebook, and this is a wild answer, buying Shopify. Because the reality is they have to rebuild shop. What, hap what happens if you sell a subscription item? Is Facebook going to manage your subscription? Like if I, if, you know, what happens if I only sell a subscription item? What you know, I can't do it through Facebook shop probably then. Like you have to rebuild an entire e-commerce engine with inside, inside Facebook in order for this to operate. And I don't think that's realistic. I'm not sure if uh, you know Facebook buying Shopify is realistic either. You know, Shopify stock is still very expensive. It would be by far Facebook's largest acquisition, and uh, you know, not exactly even not creative. But I do think that's not as crazy an idea as other people. Have you ever heard of the? Uh, actually, I think you have. You might have told me about this. The Big Mac Index. No, I did not tell you. So the Big Mac Index basically it's like the best way to track currency. 
just because you can see the value of a Big Mac in every currency. And, you know, that's your baseline as far as, you know, what's overpriced, yeah. what's underpriced. There needs to be a Big Mac index for stocks like this. See if yeah. Shopify is overpriced, underpriced. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's like the, looking at their EBITDA, but I'm not, I'm not sure what the answer is. I think you're right. I just don't know what the answer is. Anyway, what was the other thing on Facebook? You said there were two things. I started with number two. What was number So one? the other one, it's a bit more timely to this past weekend. So it's probably like three weeks ago if you're listening to this now, but it was Facebook, Facebook on Sunday. All of the ads, your daily ads, ad budget getting fully spent by like 8 a.m. Eastern time. And then, you know, everybody was kind of in a state of panic. My advice to everybody was shut everything off just in case. And then I turned some stuff on in the evening, which started doing really well. In fact, we did so well that evening from like 6 p.m. to probably 3 a.m. was was like this golden hour. I wish I'd tripled the budgets. But it got me thinking how many people, and we've been talking about this, this has been a topic of conversation for years, but like how many people are solely reliant on Facebook and not on any other platform, not using any other platform. And I think it's a lot. A lot of people from this, from this experience, I've realized almost everybody that I know is solely reliant on Facebook. It's crazy. You know, everyone's like, oh, you got to diversify. Facebook is dying. It's still the bread and butter and backbone of e-commerce. And like, if something happened with TikTok ads, I would not know about it as fast as I knew about the <laughs> yeah. Facebook ads. You know, like, right. Like my mom like, would text me and be like, did you hear about TikTok ads? Yeah. Yeah. That, like, you know, when, when Facebook ads, when there's an issue with Facebook ads, literally everybody's on top of it right away. Like that happened, I think it was like Saturday or Sunday morning. Yeah. A big question that's happening right now is, is Facebook going to give refunds? And the answer is probably like, you know, they, they seem to do the right thing on most occasions. And this was like, obviously a big fuck up on their part. And like, you know, they know that it was entirely on them. They're usually slow to give refunds, although I anticipate in this case, they'll be a little bit faster because there were so many dollars and so many advertisers. But I would like, you know, people were like, where's my refund? Where's my refund? And I was like, I remember on our Slack, uh, on the limited supply Slack group, someone was like, should we start a class action lawsuit? I was like, how would you feel if a customer was like, I want to return this product and your CS team hadn't responded in 24 hours? And they were like, I'm going to file a class action lawsuit against you. Like, would you chill out for 10 seconds? Like, you know, it's just, it's Sunday. You don't want to give them till Monday to like, you know, tell you what's going to happen or Tuesday or Wednesday. You want to, on Sunday, you're like, I'm going to file a class action lawsuit. Imagine if one of your customers bought something, didn't like it and was like, I want to return this. You didn't respond for 10 minutes. I'm filing a class action lawsuit. Like, you'd be like, this customer is a fucking asshole. Yeah, 100%. Uh, just need to chill out. Uh, I think they'll do the right thing. In the past, I feel like they've done the right thing. It does take time. And this is going to be a big check that they're going to have to. It led me down a path of uh, some other channels that that have been worth playing with. And I have three that probably sound obvious, but I think they they actually work really well for, for a brand that's doing at least $5 million a year. So the first one is YouTube. Like YouTube performance ads have been doing really well lately. They work really well for products that have a high barrier to entry or high education barrier, things like supplements, furniture, cookware, et cetera. Second one is TikTok, which works really well with products that have a relatively understandable use case, protein powder, pimple patches, or it's used in the middle funnel, middle of funnel for larger brands. So companies that are, you know, multi-hundred million, they find TikTok pretty useful in the mid funnel. In fact, a friend of mine just ran an incrementality test with Facebook and TikTok in the mid funnel, and the numbers for TikTok were just 50 cents lower, 40 cents lower than the incremental lift driven from Facebook. So it's actually a, a fairly good backup channel in the mid-funnel area for larger brands. The third one is TV, which has just been, I feel like every brand that's direct to consumer that understands the messaging that works and then runs something you know contextually native on TV starts to do really well. I, I don't think I've seen a brand that's launched on TV that's done good creative based on messaging or, or uh, creative insights that they know from Facebook and not done well on TV. I'm surprised Pinterest isn't on your list. I feel like I've run some Pinterest, but okay, here's my beef with Pinterest. One, there's never somebody to talk to. Like the people that they try to set you up with, they don't even get a Pinterest.com email. It's like ads.pinterest.com. 
and they're subcontracted from some shitty company, you know, that's like an ad rep farm. And they never give any really good advice. I feel like their pixel tech is underdeveloped. I also haven't run it for probably two years, but that was my last experience was like there was there was no path of CPC going below five and a half dollars and uh, there was nobody there to help. Interesting. I would say a couple of things. One is Pinterest does not work. You're like, you're actually, you just fucking suck at running ads. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Um, I think like Pinterest works one only if you're selling if you're selling to women. If you're selling to men, you have no opportunity to sell it to Pinterest. Um, and two, I think that like you know they have a far lower average click through rate than Facebook. Like I think Facebook's click through rate on ads is like something like two and a half percent or something. Like you know, was, I, I haven't heard about the rate for about a year, but somewhere around there on an average ad for Facebook. You know, on Pinterest, it's something like it's certainly below one percent. Like it's less than half of Facebook's. So your CPM will be way cheaper because nobody clicks any ads on Pinterest. And I think the other part is, you know, if you spend $20, you will saturate your audience in five minutes. So you can only, there's only three people on Pinterest is the real problem. <laughs> but I think other than that, despite all of those things, it's a fantastic platform. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I've seen Pinterest work really well organically. Like brands who can get Pinterest to work well, and Pinterest and TikTok, I'd put those two together. If you can get these two to work well organically, it's either it's either like you can't get it to work or it's on the other side. Like you really get it to work. What I love about TikTok ads is it's so clear to me when brands are doing well because I just see their TikTok ad. Like True Classic Tees, I heard of it because I saw their ads on TikTok for three months or four months in a row. And I was like, who? what is this brand that like every time I open up TikTok, they're fucking advertising to me, <laughs> yeah. um, and that's how I knew they're doing. They're doing well now. I'm seeing this brand that sells like an air conditioner. They have like Jeff Foxworthy and Dion Sanders as like um, their spokesmen, and every time I open it up, it's Jeff Foxworthy being like, "Here's why you need this air conditioner," and I'm like, "What is this brand that's doing <laughs> yeah. really well? What happened to your career?" <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> so. There was another channel I was looking at too which was basically just owned retail. Did you ever look into owned retail for native, like yeah. your own retail stores? Yeah. So now, like for a hot, one millisecond, I thought about it. And then I was like, this is the craziest. What turned you off? Was it like the the lease terms? It was a waste yeah, of just everyone's everything. time. It was yeah. like, l- let me tell you why it was a waste of everyone's time. Like, I think like the Allbirds stores on average do less than a million dollars in revenue a year. Yeah, those are, you know, you know what? And you know how many stores you've got to have? So you have 30 stores doing less than, you got to manage all the inventory at these 30 stores. Some guy breaks a door, you got to fix it. You know, I own gas stations. I know how, you know, there was some guy broke a window of uh, one of our gas stations late at night. And I remember having to drive a minivan out there and sleep in the minivan that night until the next morning when the glass guy could come and replace the door. Otherwise, some guy was going to walk in and steal everything that we had in that store, you know? So I basically had to be a century outside sleeping in a van. I didn't want to do that again. And I was like, own stores? What, what are we going to do? A million dollars a year? Increase some more Facebook ads and let's shut the fuck up and go back. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Nick, I know we know a ton of brands that have the TapCard app. You're a big fan of Cage. Do you use their pre-workout all the time? You've downloaded the Caged app and you use it. I've got the BrewMate app on my phone. The reality is these tap card apps aren't for all of the people that are going to shop at your store. They're for the top 10%, the top 20%, the top 30% of your customers. And they're a direct line between the brand and the brain of your VIP customers. You can send push notifications for free. You can communicate with them in different ways than you can with your regular customers. And uh, you're going to find that the conversion rate is higher with your TapCart mobile app downloads. Uh, You're going to find that your AOV is higher. And you're going to find that the LTV of the top 10, the top 20, the top top 30% of your customers that use this mobile app is on average 2.4x higher than if it was just a website visitor. Two and a half times higher. That's pretty high. Gives you a lot more room to spend on marketing. Gives you a lot more room to spend on headcount, on ops. It's pretty fantastic. Okay, so how do I get it? Go to tapcart.com slash limited and get a two-week free trial. So there's this company I was looking into. Have you heard of Leap Retail? Yes. So apparently the, the biggest value prop is basically you can test, you know, instead of signing a seven or 10 or five-year lease for a retail store, Leap will sign the lease. You pay them an operating fee 
plus a percentage of revenue. So the operating fee is actually a fixed daily flat fee, which I'm not sure how much it is, but it covers employees because all the employees who work in the store are LEAP employees. It covers the day in and day out ops, the security, the door breaking, all that kind of stuff, plus a percentage of revenue. The advantage is kind of like, it's almost like an agency for retail. So you can test with them just like you test podcasts with an agency who knows what they're doing. They've done it before. You can kind of learn the ropes from them. It's very similar where you can test it for a year or two. Worst case scenario, you lose 200K, you know, instead of, you know, 700 or 800K. But this same company, they started with Leap and I think they did two stores with Leap or one store with Leap. And now they know that they can run their own stores, hit a 30% EBITDA on each store. You know, they can underwrite their own stores. They know how to build them out. Yeah, I just thought it was interesting. I've never really looked into Leap before. Yeah, I sit on the board of this company called Brewmate um, that used Leap to open up a store very recently, I believe, in yeah. um, like King of Prussia, uh, like, you know, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I'm not sure if they're somehow related to like the Simon group, like the guys who own malls. I, I do feel like they have stores in malls generally and not like, you know, not like an Allbirds store on Fifth Avenue. They're like, hey, we've got this empty space in malls, come and rent it or like, you know, we'll take care of this. I'm not entirely sure all the, uh, like, I think they even hire the employees, right? Like they hire your, uh, you train them and like, they've got employees that will then become salesmen. It is an interesting concept. I like the idea. It's almost like we work. Well, we work at, like, if you were to like neighborhood goods and stuff where they're like, here, rent a shelf at our store basically. Yeah. But I, I do think that like, this only makes sense for brands that have like tapped virtually every other channel. Like, you know, this is direct to consumer either is it worked really well or it's not working at all, but like we've got to figure something else out. Like there's so much stuff you can play with before you need to get to this level. Have you ever done any of the like naked or not naked or yeah, maybe naked retail or neighborhood goods or like any of these stores that are trying to be these like D to C department stores? <laughs> it's got such a good answer to this. So I've certainly been in them and they're a ton of fun to go into because when I go in there, I'm just like, this is, uh, you know, my universe. Like, yeah. I understand what's going on. I understand the margins. Oh, look at this guy. He's doing keys over here. Like, I think they had Curie recently and yeah. like, oh, Curie, you know, there's one like, uh, you know, near Budokan, I think it is in mm. like- uh, it, it, Chelsea Market. Yeah, exactly. In Chelsea Market. Um, the neighborhood goods guys were like, hey, we want you, like, they're like, we want native. And I was like, great. I want to put my product in your store as well. And they sent me this contract that was incredibly onerous. And I was like, are you guys fucking crazy? Yeah. Uh, I did read this contract and fuck you. I'm not signing it. This term is bullshit. It's like a crazy fee, right? It wasn't the amount. It wasn't the amount. It was like some term. I forgot what the term was, to be honest. But I remember I was like, not only will I, it wasn't about money. It was actually something else. And I was like, not only will I, I will, will not sign this contract with this term. And they're like, okay, we'll take the term out. I was like, no. You have to agree to that term. Like they were like, Moyes, you have to do X, Y, and Z. And I was like, I forgot what X, Y, and Z was, frankly, because it was so many years ago. And I was like, I refuse to agree to uh, doing X, Y, and Z. And in fact, you have to do it now if you want me to sign this contract. And they're like, how about we just take it out and we just move forward? I was like, no, this is a matter of principle. You guys are putting in onerous terms and contracts. You expect people not to read them. Sometimes I like to read contracts. I used to be a lawyer. I want to see what the fuck you guys are up to. You know, you're writing a new contract here. Let's see what it takes. Let's take a look at it and see what it's Flex the old muscle. What? what? <laughs> and then I was so upset. I was like, this is in you. I was like, you agreed to it. And they're like, we can't agree to it. I was like, why can't you agree to it? You tried to get me to agree to it. I found it. You agree to it now. And you're like, no. And I was like, go fuck yourselves. <laughs> um, and so we never got into neighborhood goods. Damn. That was the issue with that. So if you are getting into neighborhood goods... Just send me the contract. I'll read it again for you. I'd love to take a look at it. Let's go. Let's go. Let's yeah, go or if anybody has it, too. send it to Moyes. We got to get yeah, that. Yeah. Send it to I'll remember what that term was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot it a while ago. That is way too funny. Let's move on. There were some fundraising things that I want to chat about really quickly. Uh, tonal. Uh, you know Tonal? Yes. You know what those guys are? They tonal raised- is the um, mirror-like fitness platform. Yeah. The one that had like LeBron James, uh, like mm -hmm. it being like, oh yeah, I use it. Yeah, you got this LeBron James' spot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes. If you get a total, you will also be LeBron James. Yeah. <laughs> imagine, <laughs> imagine the commercial, like a skinny white guy goes in. You look like LeBron when you come out, big black dude. <laughs> <laughs> there used to be an ad for like Blake Griffin and Kia. And I was like, Blake Griffin would have to sit in the back seat 
to drive yeah. this Kia. Like he's so tall. There's not enough room over here. What a joke. Yeah. And like, they, like Tonal had LeBron James and like Serena Williams and stuff like that. Eight, like, you know, top tier athletes in September, 2022. So less than a year ago, they raised a hundred million dollars at $1.9 billion valuation. Now, in April 2023, they raised $130 million at a $445 million valuation. Wow. So like the Pelotons of the world, all like, you know, these sort of fell off of a cliff. They're not doing well. Really makes me think about how important market timing is. Like, do you remember Mirror? Mirror was also, Mirror was a crappier version of Tonal even. It was basically like, hey, we've created a large TV screen and uh, they sold it to Lululemon at, for like 600 some million. I don't remember what the price was, but it was a fortune. Uh, the, oh, the CEO made a fortune. And, you know, it looks like a terrible, I would imagine it's a terrible acquisition for Lululemon today. I see it now just in the, the Lulu stores. No one looks at it. No one touches it. It just exists. I thought it was a literally a mirror. I, didn't, <laughs> yeah. I was like, why would I buy, pay this much for this thing? And I was like, oh, it's one of those connected mirrors. It's going to help me work out for 30 seconds before I stop using it. Right. Before it just literally sits in the wall, out of the way, and never needs to be turned on. Yeah, they paid $500 million uh, for a mirror. Wow. Uh, and now, like, I, I just Googled it because I was trying to figure it out. And, like, there's this article now. It says, Lululemon's ill-time mirror acquisition is now almost worthless. So the people that put in $100 million at one point nine. And then if they raise an additional 130 at 445, what happens to the people who put the first 100 in? They get crammed down usually. Basically. So 75% of the value. So so their 100 million is now worth 25 pre-dilution? Uh, no, it's probably worth even less than that. Like they probably told everyone you have to give up your stakes. Like, you know, they'll have to get like, they'll, they'll have to say everyone's worth a lot less now because otherwise the business isn't going to work out. Like we're going to go bankrupt or you guys can agree to take Five percent of the value of the business for that hundred million dollars, like you know, five percent of the value of the business today at a four hundred forty-five. Like they'll get crammed down materially so that their investment barely exists. Why wouldn't they just try to, or maybe they did try, but like, wouldn't shouldn't they just try to just get rid of the business, just sell it to somebody else who can recapitalize it and not have to, you know, like for example, if if a Walmart bought this, although they they don't have the yeah. best rap sheet, but like yeah. somebody like a Walmart can be like, "Yeah, I don't care. We'll just throw a billion dollars at it and see what happens." If they could get somebody like a Walmart to throw a uh, billion dollars at it or anybody like that, they would take it in a heartbeat. They or, or not they, buy it for a billion, but like, you know, let's say they even bought it for 300 or 400. Yeah. But then they can get somebody to properly capitalize cuz I imagine their biggest constraint is like, okay, well, do we give up 99% of the business and capitalize the business or do we kind of run it slowly and, and differently and we can't really push you know, the capital in and build it? I can't speak for Tonal specifically because I don't know the details of this uh, transaction, but generally, I would imagine that they have no opportunity to sell it for $250 million. Wow. Like, I think if they had that opportunity, they would have taken it in a heartbeat. Yeah. I think Did they have any numbers on revenue? They didn't have any numbers. Or at least not that I saw. Yeah. Damn. There was one more fundraising thing that I wanted to talk about, which was uh, Razor, which is an aggregator. They raised uh, $88 million at a $1.2 billion valuation. And they acquired another aggregator, actually, with the money. They're basically like, we're now acquiring. <laughs> They're not playing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, aggregators are now. You guys are acquiring brands. We're going to acquire you. <laughs> That's right. So um, they said that they uh, own 140 brands and generate $453 million in revenue per year, which I thought was really interesting. So on average, their brands are generating $3.2 million in revenue per year. That's not what they're shooting for. That's just what they've got. Hmm. This is what was really interesting. They said, Razor's pitch from the start has been that its approach is very different from that of its peers and that it's built its own technology in-house. This is in contrast to a number of others who knit together third-party tools to manage and run these businesses, sometimes with their own tech and sometimes not. I don't know what technology they've got in-house that's better. Let me translate that. They found a dev shop in India that can <laughs> string together APIs, <laughs> and that is their tech stack. Yeah, like I would be shocked. Like the reality is, these businesses are. When we were trying to fundraise, people would always be like, "What is your moat?" And I was like, "Look." You know, the honest answer is in e-commerce, there's very few businesses have moats. Yeah, you know, Apple does, and so does Lululemon, maybe, or like I'm not even sure Lululemon does. Peloton does. Right. 
But everybody else is sort of brand once you get to a certain scale and before that, operational excellence. Like I'm going to operate this business better than other people because I'm going to work harder, make better decisions, try new things. I'm not afraid to fail. I'll test. You know, that's what it is. And these guys saying, hey, we built our technology in-house and that's unique to us. I'd be shocked if Thrasio was like, you know what? We've been using Clavio, but I think we're gonna, we've decided to rebuild Clavio on our own, right. and that's better. And so is building gorgeous and uh, you know, sending text messages on our own stack and our own Shopify. Why should we use Shopify? We've got our own uh, you know, like that is really not anyone's forte in e-commerce. Technology is almost never a forte in e-commerce. It's almost always operational excellence and branding. I'm more curious what they use this tech stack for. Like, I'm sure they have developed some sort of proprietary tech. I would imagine it's it's a layer on top of the regular tech stack. So it's something that makes it easier maybe to upload emails into Klaviyo or mass send something. I have no idea. But I th- I'd imagine it's a layer on top versus like, oh, we should rebuild Gorgeous because that billion dollar company doesn't know what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. I bet it's more like inventory forecasting and back office. Right, right. Okay, there's one thing I wanted to chat about that you tweeted about, which was Glossier's new website on Shopify, which, yes, you know, was a big deal. Like, that's a big brand to get. Usually brands that get to a certain scale actually go the other way and get off of Shopify. I felt like like Ritual got off of Shopify, Away Travel got off of Shopify, Glossier, uh, you know, is now on Shopify. And so it's sort of like a reversal of what other brands have been doing. What do you think of that? One, I think it's a great win for Shopify. There has been just a ton of change with Glossier in the last like probably eight months from, you know, I think they have a new CEO now. You know, they're in Sephora. I believe they might be on Amazon now as well. It's like, you know, if you were to to look at this again, kind of like Bonobos in 2017 versus today, they're two completely different businesses. They'd also, they tried a bunch of stuff. Like they did that Glossier play, which was like, you know, a different line extension that I think completely flopped as well. The Shopify site, I think it's okay. I don't think it's fantastic, but I also know having launched many Shopify sites and building some that, you know, there's generally a reason that something made it all the way through to the live site. I could definitely critique the shit out of this site. But I'm sure there's some reason why, you know, the alphabet is spelled out in the footer with, you know, every possible product (laughs) (laughs) and why the buttons just disappear when you hover over them. I moved to site. uh, We native moved to Shopify. Honestly, it's a little bit of a work in progress. Rebuilding your tech stack from the ground up or especially in e-commerce is not like something that's super easy. And, uh, you know, I remember when we launched the site, actually the day, the moment we were supposed to launch the site went down for like the first hour. That kind of stuff happens. You know, I don't expect the site to be perfect. I think that makes a lot of sense here because this is a work in progress and takes time. That said, this is an e-commerce brand that's in many ways like defined e-commerce and was a billion dollar brand. And I'm surprised at the lack of like, development that they have on a site like this. Um, and I know, I think this is contrary to your, t- like your take is like, look, they're starting at like, you know, I, I read your Twitter post about this and I think you're right. They're starting. So there should be a lot of things that are in flux and not perfect. And they're going to, you know, in the next two months, all of these things, all the bugs will get fixed. And that's fair and true. But I think there are certain things that I'm shocked that they launched with. Like they've got zero reviews everywhere and they're like total reviews, zero average rating blank. There are no reviews on this product yet often. If you add something to the cart, and I put a link to this um, in the, uh, I put a link to this image in our agenda for the uh, for the uh, podcast. Mm-hmm. It says the sales tax amount shown in checkout is a best estimate and may differ from actual amount charged and shown on order confirmation email. Basically, even the sales tax that they tell you they're going to charge you is going to be maybe incorrect. So they're like, your total is going to be $38. Oh, it's going to be $38.60. We've decided like, you know, and you know that after you've placed the order. And that was a big, I was like, wow, I'm really surprised that you guys launched with this. I, I thought like it was a little bit less developed than I would have been comfortable with launching a site. I, I'm not saying anything should be perfect. The alphabet isn't even that big of a deal to me. It is kind of funny. But like, you know, they're going to fix that. They're going to fix the hover over buttons. They're going to fix the reviews when they get those imported. This sales tax thing, I was like, wow, that is a big thing. Like, you know, to say, I'm going to charge you this price and then I have to adjust it a little bit as a result of sales tax. I get it. You're not doing it maliciously, 
I'm just surprised that you do something like that. It is definitely a work in progress. As somebody who spends a lot of time building e-commerce sites, going through e-commerce sites, auditing them, updating them, I do think they they missed a lot of things. Like I would never launch a site with zero reviews across the board, uh, you know, of this caliber. I would yeah. never, never, even the color swatches are, are a bit different. I really, really miss, or not miss, but I really did love the previous site that I think was built on Contentful and it was customly built by uh, Henry and Brian. One thing I do like that I think is a good, good actually takeaway for a lot of brands in skincare, beauty, and personal care. In the cart, they do this like free sample, you know, you can add a free sample. And another company that does this really well is Skin, which is Kim Kardashian's skincare brand, SKKN. This is also built on Shopify. And as soon as you add something to the cart, um, it gives you the opportunity to add samples, which I think as a brand, like you want to, you want to push as many samples as, as possible. Anything that's a consumable, you know, you kind of want to go with the beverage saying of cans and hands. In this case, it's like more samples, the better. I love that. And like, you know, oh, you know what, you know what, first the, the samples are going to cost you 40 cents to uh, ship out, 40 cents entirely because right. it's a, you know, a tiny sachet of a product and then a pick and pack charge. It doesn't add anything to the weight, doesn't add anything to the box. And if you love the skin night oil sample that you purchase, that you get with your uh, order of an exfoliator, guess what you're going to do is you're going to buy the full thing. And now there's a lot more money in, uh, in hand for you. So I completely agree with you. I love that sample stuff. That is a great idea. And yeah, the, the, the Glossier site I loved before. And look, I admire the brand a ton. So, um, the people who built this have built have done an amazing job. Like I went to the store in West Hollywood the other day and it's like, you know, it's such a fun experience to go in. It's like, it's so beautiful and so friendly. Like I love everything about it. This is a little less baked uh, than I would have been comfortable with, but uh, you know, I'm sure they're going to fix it in the next couple months. Yeah, I think the person who uploaded the site was probably baked. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I want to talk about two other things. Was there anything else on your agenda, though? L let's go. Um, no, mine was mine was covered. Retail, Facebook. Okay, uh, the two things I want to talk about. One, one, I saw this TikTok of Bill Ackman who runs this like um, uh, you know hedge fund in New York. And he said, the richest people in the world are retailers. I saw this. You saw that? Yeah. And I was like, I like started thinking about it. And I was, he's like, look, retail is not easy to get right. It's a lot of work. And it's a lifetime of building that. But like Walmart, LVMH, Amazon, like all of those guys are retailers. And that's how they've like uh, made massive businesses. And like, you know, the Waltons were the richest people in the world. Jeff Bezos was the richest person in the world. Now it's the guy who runs LVMH or the owner, like, you know, Bernard Assault, or I don't know, really know how to pronounce his last name. I thought that was really interesting and incredible. I always have this concept of like, to win, you have to have the McDonald's audience or the Drake audience. You have to be so wide and be able to, to service so many in a way that still doesn't feel like you've lost quality or lost taste or lost culture. It's like trying to balance a pencil on a table. It's nearly impossible, but the second you do it, it's magic. Yeah, Absolutely. Okay, I want to end with this uh, story, this personal story I've got. I thought about it a lot uh, over the weekend because I was on this board call and this guy was getting screwed. And I was like, I've, you know, like a lot of times what happens is, uh, you know, this guy was like, look, my contract manufacturer, this is a beauty business that uh, I'm an advisor in. And he's like, my contract manufacturer uh, said that they made X number of goods and they shipped them over to the 3PL. And the 3PL says they got X minus 5%. Then you're like, what the fuck? You know, I don't see these goods. I, like there was this company. You know, my, I, this is the second time I'm referencing gas stations. When my uh, when my family owned gas stations, we used to get the gas from this company called Edison Oil Company, mm -hmm. and gas is delivered in these massive trucks, as you can imagine, like a semi truck. And generally, a semi truck holds about eight thousand gallons, and you can compartmentalize that eight thousand gallons, and you can say, I want five thousand gallons of regular gasoline, two thousand gallons of premium gasoline, and one thousand gallons of diesel. And so then, if, you know, they bring over 8,000 gallons and drop them in your uh, tanks, and then you sell them to consumers. And so my father was like, let me tell you, the guy who runs Edison Oil, his name's Gene. I don't remember his last name. He has committed fraud and tax fraud for years and should be in jail. But like, what would happen is he would say, okay, my father would be like, oh, I want to order 8,000 gallons of gasoline, and he'd get a bill for 8,000 gallons and pay it. And one time, the guy who dropped the gasoline into the tanks 
gave us a sheet of paper that he wasn't supposed to give us called the bill of lading. And it said, you ordered 8,000 gallons. We're delivering 7,800 because we couldn't fit the other 200. Like, you know, there was a 200 variance when we were filling it into that truck. And mm -hmm. so you only got 7,800 gallons. And my father was like, fuck, I've been overpaying for 200 gallons of gasoline for seven years. Yeah. And not only, not only am I overpaying for the gasoline, I'm paying for the taxes on that gasoline that was never delivered. The federal tax, the state tax, the local tax of gasoline. And so, you know, we were being overcharged tens of thousands of dollars a month for several years by this guy who runs Edison Oil Company. And so if you want to like um, talk shit about him, I'm, let, let me be the first to talk shit about him. You know, and if, you, if, you, if you're a member of the Florida state government, please arrest this guy. I will testify at the trial. But anyway, that's what was happening to this beauty guy. I was like, this is still happening in my life. This happened to my father 20 years ago. This is happening to a business that I'm advising today. They ordered 10,000 units of something. They, they got an invoice for 10,000 units of something. When it got delivered, they had 9,800. And they're like, what should we do? And that, like, you know, then they're like, hey, fucker, we only got 9,800 here. And the guy was like, oh, yeah, we only set 9,800. That's right. <laughs> yeah. 10,000. So I, I don't know if people like, I, you know, I've only run my, I haven't run anyone else's business, but a native, I'd be pretty uh, cognizant of what we should be getting to make sure that what was shipped was received by the other party, like the number of boxes. And I'd encourage everyone else to do that because there will be discrepancies and those discrepancies are, it's easy for those discrepancies to be thousands of dollars in a way. Especially sense. when the units go up, you know, if you have 10,000 units, 20,000 units and 200 are missing, it's very easy to just not see it because it's so minuscule compared to the you know multiple pallets coming in yeah that's right it's so so easy to miss that kind of stuff i don't know a good way to do this to manage this kind of stuff it's super manual and even then you're guessing at it because like the guy says it, i ship ten thousand. the guy who's receiving it doesn't count each unit individually he counts boxes he's like okay you told me each box contains 50 units are there 20 boxes here 200 boxes here and so he's like, uh, in this instance, in this uh, this example, there was like, a, there were missing boxes. But even then, you could just put forty in every box instead of fifty, yeah. and you could get fucked. And you'd so never know. You gotta audit those things. I'd recommend you spot check those things like once every six months. Go out to the three PL, have someone go out to three PL, pay the three PL, go out and audit those things, and make sure that you're not getting screwed in them. I don't know about any company that exists that does this. I do know there's a company called I think it's factored quality they do this for uh for factories so like very similar to what you're saying kind of like auditing going in and making sure that you're not getting fucked over they do this for the factory all the way up until actually they do this for 3pls send inspectors to your warehouse 3pl dc or fulfillment center to do a final count of your total goods down to a skew or lot level factored quality what how have i not never heard of this business before there's an Indian guy who runs it. I should connect you. Yeah, I'd love that. You know him? I do. Forget his name. Wow, so it looks like they're running like good, like, you know, there's certainly a lot of brands on here I recognize. Supply, Adams, Resident, Mycin, Dr. Squatch. That's interesting. I guess like, okay, so other people have had this problem and found a solution to it. I've been doing it fucking manually forever. I love talking. I, love I spend this my Sundays just counting. <laughs> I love this podcast because literally I'm just like, hey, here's problems that other people are uh, having. And you're like, have you heard of these 15? <laughs> I'm like, who's heard of this business? Honestly, who's heard of factored quality? How have you heard of it? I just, I know people. I got a guy. Yeah. Okay. Well, fantastic. I'm your guy. Yeah. You're my guy. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to start telling you about all of my problems I've got. Yeah. I'm just like, you solve this. <laughs> Is there a company that goes out and solves these problems? Because I don't know about it, and you do. Amazing. Awesome. Right. I feel like that was a good episode. We'll be yeah, back next week. And, oh, join our Slack group. We have over 2,000 people in there now. It's crazy. It is popping off. 2,000 people. It's at uh, limitedsupplypod.com. You can join it there. Uh, if it doesn't work, it's probably going to work 20 minutes later. Slack has... Uh, <laughs> Slack has an issue, actually. So you can set a link to not expire, but every 400 people that use that link, it drops. So basically, every time it increases by 400 people, I have to go reset the link. Oh, change that's what's been happening. Yeah. So I have it uh -huh. to like not deactivate, but you can't get around it. I've tried everything. I've even hit up Slack, no response. But, but yeah, come join the Slack group. We have tons of channels. It is probably the only free Slack group in this world, in this community, 
you know, that has high quality people. Like, I don't know if you've seen some people in here are running like $50 million businesses, $100 million businesses. And, you know, it doesn't cost anything. We're not going to charge you. There's nobody shilling. There's nobody selling. So yeah, limitedsupplypod.com. Awesome. That's it. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next time to cut through the noise in CPG, retail, and e-commerce. And if you enjoyed this episode, then why not share it with a friend? And be sure to subscribe wherever you listen so you don't miss the next one.